Welcome to the Fed Heads, a weekly podcast from Grant Thornton Public Sector. Join the Fed Heads, Robert Shea and Francis Rose, each week to talk about the arcana of government management and the people who are working hard every day to improve it. Welcome to episode 25 of Fed Heads. I'm Francis Rose. And I'm Robert Shea. And you have been on the improper payments bandwagon for, I don't know, 142 years now? No, I'm not that old, but from the beginning. Yeah. And why? The obvious why is that it costs taxpayers a lot of money. When when policymakers craft laws and design programs, they think of intended beneficiaries. And improper payments means that the intended beneficiaries of those programs aren't getting the money that they deserve, aren't getting the right amount of money they deserve, and people who are unintended beneficiaries are getting some or more than they should have from the program. Uh, Adam Goldberg is executive architect in the Office of Financial Innovation and Transformation at the Bureau of the Fiscal Service. Is that a whole episode? At the Department of the Treasury. Adam, thanks for being here, and we'll see you next time. No. (laughs) That is a long title, but it's the title that I have here, so I want to give him the respect that he's due. And he deserves it. And he deserves it. And it's great to see you. Thank Thank you very much for joining us here. Uh, We didn't mention that the reason you hear all this noise is because, once again, we're coming from the floor of the associate. What's the look on your face for? Because you've screwed up the name of the conference. Only once. No, twice. No. Oh. Was it really twice? I think so. Association of Government Accountants Professional Development Training. Oh, nailed it. Nailed it. Bravo. Nailed it. Yes, that's why you're hearing all this noise, and this is the fourth and final episode of Fed Heads from this conference. And Linda Miller of Grant Thornton is here. It's great to see you. Great to see you too. Thank you for coming and One of my uh, favorite joining colleagues. this conversation. That's very nice of you to say. Don't share that. No, and he really didn't say that about anybody else. So. <laughs> oh, I'm so honored. <laughs> um, Adam, you are involved in a partnership with the Department of Veterans Affairs. Tell me what you're doing. Sure. Uh, we're in a partnership with VA uh, as a result of a study that we did about a year and a half ago. Uh, to look at different opportunities to innovate within the finance and management community. One of those opportunities related to uh, using advanced data analytics to detect fraud, waste, and abuse. And VA participated in the project and approached us and said, can we, can we partner with you? And uh, we said, absolutely. But one of the uh, requests that we make in terms of this partnership is that we do work for you, but we share our learning and lessons with all the other federal agencies. What specifically did they want you to do? Yeah, there's a number of things that they wanted us to do, uh, one of which was help them identify best practices with the world of identifying, detecting, and preventing fraud, waste, and abuse. They wanted to help us, uh, help them with uh, identifying which programs might be susceptible to fraud. And I think one of the more interesting things was to help them uh, create some more sophisticated data models to identify, uh, in this case, providers that might be uh, suspect of creating or, or performing some type of fraudulent uh, billing or act. Did they know what you needed them to do or provide or have in place when they came to you, or did they have to build something in order to be able to get you to help them? Uh, they didn't really have to do anything to come and have us help them. They just had to make a commitment to us that we could take the lessons that they learned on this effort and, again, be willing to share it out with the other federal agencies who are experiencing very similar challenges. Mm-hmm. That's a great model, um, and I hope it works. Linda, what kinds of things do you think VA can share with the rest of government as they tackle something you've been working on a long time, uh, anti-fraud uh, uh, program. 
Yeah, you know, I think VA is very similar to a lot of other federal agencies in that they're just beginning this journey of trying to fight fraud, waste, and abuse. Um, like many federal agencies that have a very uh, lofty mission, they are trying to you know, protect and, and, and provide benefits and services to our, one of our nation's most treasured citizens, veterans, and they are very committed to making sure that the veterans get the services that they deserve which is a, you know, a great aspect of all public servants. One of the things I think that we're hoping to move the needle on a little bit, both at VA and in the rest of government, is to start to maybe take a little bit more skeptical view that so when the, the phone rings and you naturally assume it's a veteran on the phone, maybe ask a few more questions to make sure it's a veteran before you go ahead and you know offer them more opportunities to get more benefits and services or to make you know to, to solve the problems that these people are calling in they're not always necessarily the good guys is that always the most difficult challenge in improper payments is identity confirmation identity management uh, that's a good question i mean i think that's hard to answer because there's so many different root causes but uh, identity theft, and, and especially with all the breaches that have occurred in, you know, Equifax breach and the OPM breach, there's a lot that people have of, of you know, personally identifiable information out there, and so fraudsters are sophisticated now. Identity theft is easy to perpetrate, and the, the thing about that is, you know, government often has this pay and chase mentality when it comes to fraud. Identity theft, you're never getting it back. So the chasing is not, you know, they say 50% of the fraud that you lose, you can get back through a pay and chase method, not with identity theft. So, you know, it's really important to take a proactive risk-based approach to managing fraud, especially when it's, it's, it's being perpetrated through these kinds of more deceit, deceitful, deceitful ways to steal someone's identity. So add some color to this. What, what are some of the broad scenarios that people probably have heard of before, but what are some of the more unusual ones that people should be looking after? Well, there's some really common fraud scenarios that most agencies face. Payroll fraud, for example. You know, creating a ghost employee. You know, if your payroll staff has the ability to keep somebody who's left the agency on the books and change that their bank account to their own. This is something that often when we work with our agencies, they're like, well, would anyone really do that? People do that all the time. Yeah. And, you know, the IGs report on this stuff. And so understanding whether you've got vulnerabilities to your processes for those kinds of fraud schemes, it's a really important thing to do. But again, you got to start by being skeptical. And a lot of agencies just aren't that skeptical. What are the steps that you're learning at VA that can be applied across government? There's a number of different things that we're learning and actually we are going to be documenting and sharing them off the other agencies and what we're calling our anti-fraud uh, playbook. Uh, one of them is uh, that you need strong leadership commitment to what you're doing uh, and your leadership needs to set the tone for the rest of the agency. Another lesson is uh, educate your personnel about what uh, fraud, waste, and abuse is. One of the things that we've learned is that uh, organizations that do such training actually, uh, I think, increase their fraud identification around 43%. So there are some direct benefits people can do just through leadership attention and education. We've seen a lot of playbooks come out of various parts of the government over the last several years. Why is that format, do you think, so popular? Why did you choose to do it in this case? And what benefit does that provide than doing it in some other way? 
the, the, the playbook I, is a good format because it, it is a limited scope document. It puts things into small digestible pieces and it doesn't overwhelm the audience and all the things that they need to do. And in this case, we'll have about 16, 17 different plays in the playbook. Uh, and I think agencies will be able to identify which ones are the most relevant for them. This is just one of the things you're doing at the Office of Financial Innovation and Transformation. You're looking for more opportunities to do this kind of thing. Absolutely. We are looking right now very aggressively and actively to work with other agencies. In fact, we have a program right now where federal agencies can come to us, suggest a, an emerging technology or technology that they want to uh, learn a little bit more about. And if it meets certain criteria, we'll partner with them, give a little funding to this. And the only really uh, requirement is that we share it out with the rest of the federal government so that they can learn from it as well. So give us some examples. What are some of the initiatives on, going on today? Sure. So we have actually a couple initiatives that within our own organization on robotics that we're doing, robotic process automation. Uh, and in fact, we've just uh, selected two agencies, NSF, and do I to do robotic process automation as well in some different processes than the ones that we have done. Uh, and then there's other agencies that have come to us with other ideas uh, in terms of uh, artificial intelligence and, and different capabilities that they can use with that, uh, with that technology. Are there themes to the ideas that they're bringing to you or to the challenges that they're having? Maybe they have different ideas about how to address those challenges or different things that they want you to help them test. But are there kind of common threads to the ideas that they're bringing to you and saying we're having a, a problem with this? Um, I wouldn't say there's common threads. I think really in our first uh, request for proposals, we got ideas that related to policy changes that they were looking for. They were actually looking for some uh, relief on the frequency of some of the reporting. And then we got things about, you know, could I use artificial intelligence to help in doing improper payment reviews? Mm -hmm. And it's really uh, across the gamut of the types of ideas that they're coming to us with. What makes a good idea? What makes, when you look at a proposal, what makes you and your colleagues say, we really want to do this. Sure. Good ideas for us are it can achieve some financial management benefit, efficiency, effectiveness, burden reduction. Uh, it's something where we could uh, conduct the proof of concept or pilot within a six to eight month period to get near term results. And it's something that can be, again, shared with other agencies who face similar problems. The Office of Financial Innovation and Transformation is taking a lot of these buzzwords, it would seem, testing them out in a safe place in order to decide whether or not they've got broad applicability. And it seems like we've come upon some that are going to have a real impact. Absolutely. And we, we want to make sure that the investment we make is limited. So if it's not successful, we can say, all right, let's uh, wrap it up and move on to the next item. But what we're finding so far, especially in robotics, is that there's a lot of demand and benefit that we can achieve from that capability. When you find an idea that works, how do you scale it? How do you, how do you tell whether it's something, yes, we've been successful on this level, and yes, we can be successful by doing it times 10 or 100? Well, that's something that we're looking forward to getting to, uh, but one of the things that we're doing right now is uh, starting a dialogue with the community. So we have a forum called the Financial Management Standards Committee, where deputy CFOs come together and they learn about what we're doing. The recipients of funding from us also get together on a routine basis and share lessons learned. 
uh, and the agencies have actually been saying to us, hey, as part of this, could you document some of those lessons? Or we're more interested in learning about how internal controls work with this. Tell me more. So Linda, is it going to work? You think, <laughs> is this going to work or what, what do we need to do to ensure it's successful? Well, you know, um, I, I feel comfortable quoting my GAO colleagues, former GAO colleagues, who we met with as part of this um, playbook effort, and they were absolutely saying, gosh, we wish this had been put out at least a year ago. This is so needed. Agencies really don't know what to do to implement the Fraud Reduction Data Analytics Act. There's some new legislation that's been introduced that would expand and, and, and enhance what agencies are supposed to do when it comes to payment integrity and anti-fraud efforts. And the playbook, I think, is going to be just in time, helping agencies to really operationalize some of these really more challenging the requirements guidance that they've been getting from some of these statutes and, and requirements. They're not really clear how they're supposed to do. Is a lower level of improper payments the only measure to whether this was successful or not? No. Absolutely not. That's a great question. I mean, I think the, the thing is about improper payments, you know, is people like improper payments because it's something you can, you know, it's tangible, you can measure it, right? But fraud is deceptive, and you don't know how much fraud there is, but it's guaranteed there's a lot. The Social Security Administration will tell you that they have 1% fraud, and that's because that's the amount of fraud that they have identified, uh, investigated, and successfully prosecuted. We know they have a lot more fraud than that. So how you define it you know, has a lot to do with whether or not you've succeeded in stopping it. And so they can't define how much fraud you have, but taking a risk-based approach and understanding where your vulnerabilities are and then closing those gaps, you're going to see tangible results when it comes to not only saving money, but improving taxpayers' confidence in government. I think it's just as important. For instance, it sounds like this could be a home run. It sounds like it. At Playbook, you get it? Yeah. There's no playbooks in baseball. It's, it's football okay. as the playbooks, okay. right? That's why we big stick sports to guy over That's here. Why we stick to yeah, big sports guy over here. Uh, I, I, I guess the response there is I don't see what you did there. <laughs> it's a shame, though. Uh, Adam, thanks very much for being with us. It's great to have you here um, as we're at the AGA Professional Development Training Conference. Finally nailed it. No, I got it at the beginning, too. And Linda, it's great to see you as always. Thank, Thank you very you for much. Having me. Robert, thanks for the opportunity to abuse each other on another episode of Fed Heads. I really enjoyed it. And thanks very much for listening. Thanks for listening to the Fed Heads, brought to you by Grant Thornton Public Sector. All of the resources talked about during the episode are available in the episode description. We'd love to hear from you. Connect with us on Twitter at GT Public Sector to join the conversation. And don't forget to leave us a comment or review on iTunes or the Google Play Store.